Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show, the number one podcast where we admit no matter what happens, daddy has the advice we need to fix our problems. Introducing my dad, Mr. Wayne Friedman. That was good. It would be nice if you could also sing a song. What would the song be? You love Paris in the springtime. I just made up some words to it. I love Rena in the springtime. I love Rena in the fall. <laughs> That's right. That's good enough. <laughs> oh boy. Let's dive in. Today's guest is a fellow filmmaker, entrepreneur, and producer. He is candidly honest about our industry and life overall. Welcome, my friend and daddy of four, Mark Drager. Let me tell you, because I just started this podcast, and it's something I've always wanted to do because I have a curiosity for crazy stories. I worked in casting for years and mm. in research for TV. So my very first job was Jerry Springer. Oh, and wow. After I did that, I moved to LA and I'm like, I'm a producer. I'm in the producer's guild. I have arrived. Here I am. Everybody's like, I'm a producer too. And I have a card saying it. And I'm like, oh, I guess I have to start all over. I went to film school because I wanted to be an editor. And I love the idea of editing. Uh, Even in film school, I fell in love with editing even more because of the ability to take moments and raw elements, manipulate essentially the audience into what you wanted them to feel, see. I like all of that. I actually started getting into producing as well in film school only because no one wanted to be a producer. You know, you said my one word's extraordinary. If you just asked all the people, all of the crew, if you asked them with earnest, it would teach you everything anyway. It's really interesting because I applied to a seasoned post-production producer. Truthfully, that the producer jobs were so hard to come by. So I applied for a nighttime post-production supervisor role, and I did not even know how to output a tape. (laughs) And the guy was like, if you can produce the Jerry Springer show, you can figure out how to deliver post-production deliverables. And so he took a chance on me, and I literally got the job with a one-liner. Since Bill Clinton is no longer looking for interns, this job sounds like fun. Listen, everything that I know about Photoshop and Illustrator and now InDesign, I never took a single course on that. I just got an offer tonight to do something that is a bit of a stretch. Mm. So as an entrepreneur, you are constantly refiguring out your services and what you do and people come to you for all different things and how Mm -hmm. do you price those things and do you charge for time versus results and oh my God, it's so crazy. There's a lady who approached me tonight and she's a best-selling author. She wants like five hard to reach people, like one of them to write the foreword for her book. I actually have one of their emails. So I was like, hmm, I've got one out of the five. So that's a shoe in. Do you take those kind of opportunities still where you're like right on the edge of getting fired? And do you charge accordingly? Like this is a week's worth of work. You know, I've been running my business for 14 years now. I don't think you can be an entrepreneur and not find yourself having conversations with people who are asking you to do things that are out of your depth. Because if you're not having those conversations, then you're standing pretty still. Yes, I still have myself having conversations with people where I go, we can do that. But what I've come to learn is with the right amount of time and with the right amount of money, almost anything is possible. Pricing to me is like, well, how much time will it take? How many resources will it take? Is it keeping me from earning money elsewhere? Do I have to hire babysitters to watch the kids? Like, what is this? And then how painful will it be? So that way, if this goes totally sideways and I hate this client and I hate this project, is there enough money there that at least I'm doing it for the money? Will this be reasonable to a client? I usually talk to my clients about budget and time. So I think with all of that stuff, I think it's probably going to be somewhere in the six, eight, $10,000 range. You know, is that something that you think you're going to spend? I run a very loose service-based business, so it all works out in the end. Move forward with full confidence. 
Don't let them see that you're concerned or worried with full confidence. And then along the way, you keep them updated. I think that's really good advice. And what's interesting is that I've had another client similar to her that offered me two grand to do similar work. So I threw that number out there. She threw out the number 1500. And I was like, and she said, don't charge for your time. You should charge for results. She told me to, you know, let the client know all that goes into that and, and yes. the communication that you were talking about. I do think that that's really good advice. And I, I don't know if I've done enough of that. But here's the other thing, you're starting. So it doesn't matter if you undercharge or overcharge because you're starting. I started doing this, this brand strategy exercise uh, maybe four years ago. And I asked some friends, hey, what do you charge? And they said 10 grand. So I went to my client, my first client. I said, it's 10 grand. I'm going to give it to you for 7,500. And they were like, great. It ended up becoming an incredible amount of work, right? Like I normally charge 150 to $200 per hour for my time, you know, on the low side. And so $7,500 doesn't add up to a lot of hours. I spent hundreds of hours on this. It took like five months. It was so much work. And so the next time that I did it, I was like, it's 10 grand. The budget doesn't cover your time, then it's not worth doing the exercise. And you're not going to be as invested or motivated if they don't pay you. We do projects for three reasons, right? We do them either for the money because the money is exceptionally good. We do it because we think it's an investment in the relationship. Honestly, we just really like the person or we do it as an example. We aim for two out of three. That would be the goal. Only doing it for the money and it's not good for the relationship and it's not a good case study. Well, I guess that makes sense because you're going to pay some bills, but it's going to kind of suck the soul out of your consultancy or your service-based business. If you don't have one of those three, then you shouldn't even take the project. So true. I love the way that you describe that. And it's funny because when I very first started my first entrepreneurial opportunity, someone who I had worked with at my day job, and I hired her off of LinkedIn to help me put together this event that I was doing in Chicago. She really had focused on doing entrepreneurial events, and I was working in the financial sector. So it actually wasn't a good match for her. Like she wasn't able to help me fill my financial event. But then when I ended up leaving that financial company, she said, I know that we work well together in the trenches and you hired me. I'm going to hire you back with sponsorships. I had never done that before, but I was like, dude, I'm doing that. I'm making that happen for the opportunity, for the case study. Because my team would sometimes say to me, you know, Mark, when are we going to stop doing these things? Because it's a good case study, because it's a good relationship. Possibly I'm, I'm selling us short or I'm just continually reinvesting in the relationships, which is why we're still here 14 years later. And think about all the things you're learning from it. Think about all the growth you're getting from it that you wouldn't get if you outsourced it to someone else because you'd be disconnected from the work. I saw that on your website, former waste of space. Did I say I was a waste of space? Is that a quote? Is that a quote from me? Were you actually called that? Yeah. I was raised in a home that took me a long time to realize was so abusive. My stepfather had mania you know, the manic side of manic depressive. He was an alcoholic and just a really angry person. I was going to ask you how that has affected your parenting style. I am a father of four and I can't help but get super angry. I get really frustrated when the kids aren't listening, but I let go of things really, really quickly. It affects me because I can see if I'm yelling at one of my kids, that fear, that rigid fear that you see in their face. And I remember, and it bothers me because I can't help but lose my temper. And this happens a lot with my older son. He's 11 right now. And I find he's coming to apologize to me for me getting angry at him. And I'm apologizing to him for losing my temper. And all I can do is just say that I'm working on this and be transparent and be honest and be open and admit when I'm wrong and apologize. That's how I approach it. I really struggle with that too. 
with my just turned 12 year old. So I'm wondering if it's just that eight. I have boy, girl, boy, boy. So you have a bunch of boys. So sometimes I think it is age. Sometimes I think it has a lot to do with birth order. So I think a lot of it is just personality that's baked in. I noticed with my kids that when they were around 10, 12 months old, whoever they were in the high chair is who they grew up to become. And so my oldest was very shy. The next one was like, took blocks and just threw them across the room. It's like the next one didn't talk till he was three. The, the littlest one would do these crazy belly laughs. Like she would find everything hilarious. That's so interesting. And do you think that that applies to you as well? I don't know. I haven't taken the time to ask my mom what I was like. I, have you noticed this with your kids? Completely. I mean, I even think that it goes back to like what they're like in utero. My most challenging was doing backflips every time I drank chocolate milk. I mean, he was a kicker. I do think that your childhood definitely comes into play with parenting. Like, I feel like your childhood insecurities come front and center in parenting and in like building your own business. I'm finding that for myself. You know, family of origin, which is kind of the term that I've come across as it relates to like marriage or the type of home you want to create or the type of life you want to have, how you want to parent, you know, whether you choose to spank or not spank, whether you force kids to eat vegetables or not, right? Like this is all family of origin stuff. The stuff that you grew up in, you have no way knowing whether it's normal or not. If you grew up in a family with abusive parents or a rocky relationship or you run away or drug addiction or whatever it is, just the family of origin that you grew up in, you bring with you as your value set. And I wish that it was more stable. I also moved out when I was 16. My wife and I, we've been married 15 years. I grew up very quickly and I've done a lot of things with a crazy amount of confidence because of the household I grew up in and because of the family I grew up in. What's really interesting about that, my dad got married, got my mom knocked up at 18 and married her at 22, had me at 23. So same story. My husband, his parents split up when he was young. I feel like he also worries about our kids being soft because he really struggled with a, a mom making minimum wage and being on food stamps. And he is a complete outlier. He definitely grew up from like the school of hard knocks. You know, he even says to my kids, like when they're complaining about Cocoa Puffs, he's like, I never got Cocoa Puffs. I never got name brand cereals. We were only allowed to eat sugared cereal in the summertime. My wife and I both having exceptionally high standards. You know, we look around at what other people are doing and we just don't let our kids do that. Apparently, a According to them, none of their friends have to do this stuff. So. Oh yeah, I hear that. And please tell me how the heck you implemented that. I was trying to stay on top of that, but mm. you know, now that my kids are home, having to do all of their classes on Zoom, they are literally on the yeah. computer from nine to four. We're up here in Canada. Our, the teaching time is reduced for our kids to one hour per day. So we have a buddy system. We put a schedule together. Each child has a thirty-minute window where they're allowed to go on Messenger Kids and connect with their friends from school. Do they say, how come you're always on the computer? No, I mean, listen, I, I have a job and I'm working. No, there's no question of whether I'm being a hypocrite because when they grow up, they can do whatever they want. <laughs> That's the best part about being a grown-up, right? Is that they can do whatever they want when they grow up. What do they say that they want to do when they grow up? You know, when my daughter turned 13, we allowed her to get her own Instagram account. And so there's kind of these weird milestones. I kind of push everything off to 16. Apparently it's 16. And it's things like being able to stay up, have a screen in your room or play video games or wear makeup or have a phone or get a job or, you know, drive a car, whatever it is. That's so funny because my kids are all asking for iPhone 11s. My kids all would love is that an option financially even? Money no, 
I don't even have one. They want TVs in their room. My nine-year-old daughter totally is doing her own makeup. Are they into watching YouTubers? No, my daughter isn't. And my littlest one probably would be, but she's six. Do you feel like you're able to give your kids YouTube tips or Instagram tips, or are they teaching you things? I'm still teaching them things. I mean, there are a bunch of things that I'm super out of touch on, and there are a bunch of things that, that they do that's really funny. But I allowed my 12-year-old to create a YouTube channel as long as he doesn't show his face. And yes, he is screen capturing Roblox and narrating it. If my son said, you know, like, okay, I want to get a new computer and I want to get a screen capture card and a $1,200 and I'm going to do X, Y, Z to do it, have at it. I had a conversation with my grade three, his teacher. They were talking about how bad my son's handwriting is. And I said, do they even need to really learn handwriting when you consider that typing is important, but voice is the future of everything? It's funny because we just switched schools this year. My kids okay. were in a religious school and it was very rigid. Was the it, mommies were like banding together to like not have technology. And it's really funny because the new, more progressive school that my kids are at adapted much easier. You know, they all had Chromebooks. My child was invited to like a Zoom birthday party of a kid from his last school. And he's like, hey, do you know how to do breakout rooms? And you know, <laughs> Like he was like, let me show you. <laughs> For any parent who's really worried about this time, here's what I say. Four months does not matter. It doesn't matter. In September, God willing, we'll go back and it'll be great. It'll be a new year and they're going to grow up. It won't matter. No, I totally agree. I'm not a traditional kind of student. My husband ended up graduating, you know, with his master's degree, I think at like 32. If my kids don't know what they want to do at 18, I am not going to force them to go to university. By the time our kids grow up, I don't think anyone is going to force anyone to go to university. You know, I didn't go to university. I went to a technical college. I went to film school. I had graduated by the age of 20 or 21, I guess it was, you learn so much more just by doing and making mistakes than you will by sitting in a classroom, being taught a curriculum that is many years out of date, being taught by teachers who frankly are many years out of date as well. I think if you want to go into academia, if you want to go into research, if you want to become a doctor or you want to become a lawyer or a career path that requires it, then it makes sense because you're going to get your foundations. But outside of that, I am not a huge fan of school. I am totally jealous of your film school path and <laughs> everything that I learned as far as the television and entertainment industry, I completely learned on the job. Thank you for being generous with your time and investing in this relationship. And this all happened from Instagram and Alive Instagram. and you taking your chance on me. So very cool. Well, thank you for having me. This, this has been one of the most fun conversations I've actually had in a long time. And I'm not just saying that. I'm excited to hear what my daddy has to say about your advice. Wayne, what do you think of this guy here? Hey, he's actually from New York. Oh gosh. Now I'm stuck with the Jewish mafia. What is happening? Mr. Freeman, I, I hope that I, I made you proud. Let's hear from my daddy. Well, Mark, you had a really wonderful interview with Rena. I think you both did a really amazing job, a very candor conversation of a lot of important information about life itself from the beginning and raising your own children to applying uh, your business towards customers. And I think that when you have adversities that you faced in the beginning of your life and knowing that, that you would step above all of this and be able to say that I'm not going to let this stop me. I'm going to better myself. I'm going to better my life. I'm going to be a better example and father to my own children. You should be commended for that. What's very interesting is that when you came to even running your own business, that you're willing to not only invest and make money, to invest in relationships 
even in business and for customers to make sure that they're satisfied. So yes, you want to get paid a fair value for your work, but you want to also make sure that the customer is getting paid a fair value of what they can afford to pay is a very interesting approach. And investing in customers, investing in relationships, investing in your own future and the future of your people, you should be well commended for that. And I think everyone that's watching this show should take some of the advice that you've been freely given today and be able to also look at these factors and try to put that into their own life. Thanks very much. We all have our own unique map, which helps us understand ourselves and others. Increased self-awareness is key to maximizing your career and life. The UMAP assessment reveals your strengths, values, skills, and interests. There is also a UMAP youth assessment for kids. To get your personalized UMAP, go to myumap, that's Y-O-U.com today. Use the code BCD for a discount. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Yeah.